Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast brought to you by bet.co.za. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and drop a five-star rating in order to share this podcast with the rugby world. And please go to the bet.co.za website to see what markets they have for all the rugby competitions happening right now. Today, I'm joined by Sean and, and Cooks. My name is Tyler. We are almost at full team. Cooks, back from his Darcy Swain suspension. We are not going to reveal what Cooks did in order to get suspended, but it's great to have him here. Sean is also here. And let's start with our first phase, um, which is a good one, talking about rugby Frankensteins and the three attributes of different players that you want to fit together. Um, Sean, let me start with you. Um, as the, the Since the idea came from you, what, what are the three um, aspects you had joined together for the perfect rugby player? Okay, so I obviously and always talk about, but always think about outside centers um, and, and outside backs. But I want a player that has got the bull terrier and pound for pound power of Van Cock. I want to mix in the balance and running of Teddy Thomas, who is an incredible, incredible with ball in hand when he's running. Like I've never seen anyone run like that in my life. And then I want to finish it off with the vision and skills of Ron Pino, who can play at 9, 10, or 15 in his, uh, in his younger days. And I think as a combo, you probably, I mean, you basically have the best Springbok player 23 in the history. Someone that can cover most likely 10, 12, and 15, and maybe 13. You can put him on the wing if need be. He's got the vision to be an inside back or a fullback, and he's got the speed and power to be an outside back. So that would be my, my mixture. Yeah, so you actually just mentioned the thing I was going to ask you about, about where to put a player like this. But I really like the idea of just this, you know, amazing runner, maybe especially on the outside at, at 13, mm-hmm. might be able to expose some gaps in the defense. I think if I had to, you know, looking at this, if I had to put him somewhere, I would say it would probably, he'd probably more be suited for 15. Um, but he can most certainly fill in at 13 and, and somewhere else. Because with the 15, he can fill in at that second, rece- that second first receiver during like phases like three and five and whatnot. Um, and then at 15, when he gets to run into space, if he spots a gap, the man's gone like clappers, man. So. So I think 15 would be the best shot. That sounds great. Cooks, what is your rugby Frankenstein that you're building? So uh, uh, for me, I, I went and, oh, first of all, how's it, guys? It's great to be back from my, from my suspension. Hopefully I'll be able to stay in the pod for more than one week in a <laughs> row. So, um, But um, for me, my thought was, I, I thought I went position, so I went with the eighth man. So I thought and I went current players at the moment. So I thought, I thought so if, We'll create the perfect eighth man, my Frankenstein. I'll have the the skills and ball playing ability of Jack Conan. I'll have the hardness and the ball carrying of of Jasper Visa, and then the X factor of Ardi Sevier. I feel like if you combine all of that, that I could probably win World Player of the Year. I think I think every week and every other, like I can't find a better eighth man combination. Those those are the three my three favorite eighth men at the moment. So I thought I wanted a bit of balance. I mean, I, I know I'm probably cheating with Ardis more of a seven, but I feel like his expect is different. I mean, Jack Conan, he, he's all flows and what he does for Ireland, especially on the wing, is so underrated. And Jasper Visa, like we said, is probably hasn't gone backwards probably since 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 not playing rugby. 
Yes, that's a great shot. And like just thinking of South African eights and how we like to position them and everything, he's, uh, your, your eight seems to be a, a pretty good option at liner and has a bit of grunt to fill in in the, in the mall as well. So if you want to play him in the tight or in the loose, you're, uh, he's available. Yes, he. Oh, imagine that he'd be so bloody dangerous, man. Will he have a moustache? That is my... He kind of has to have a moustache, though, surely. Because Artie's had one every now and then. He's got a big tash. He's definitely got... He's definitely has a moustache. And it's like, yeah, I was thinking, like, a play like that. I mean, it's sort of like... Imagine... Because, like, all these, all these sort of eight fans in the world are sort of... Not many of them, like, have, like, a sort of all-round game. Probably the last one who comes close to this is probably Kieran Reid, who could sort of do everything on the rugby field. But, like... Because, like, now everyone sort of, like, has got a trait. And, and I mean, Artie's just... I think his trait is just being... A shit hot rugby player, <laughs> like he just do everything. He's, he, like, but um, I think yeah, you got to throw him a, a mustache, and I think he would be devastating in the loose and obviously in the tight. I think this, yeah, one of our um, one of our dirt trackers, Regan Smith, he also put up or uh, put together a perfect loose forward, and this loose forward has the engine of Peter Steph Dutoy, the ball playing ability of Kieran Reed, and the defense of Terry Dusatois. Books, how do you think you will match up with your? Um, with your eighth man, he could be probably put on the one side of the scrum. Jeepers. <laughs> if, it's an, if it's the defense of the Dusato, I think um, I think the only person who will welcome he'd be happy to tackle. Guess what he says is probably Thierry Dusato. So <laughs> I think it'll, it'll it'll be a very it'll be a humbling, it'll be a proper clash. <laughs> yeah, I think actually my the one that I posted on Twitter as well. You can probably play in the six for the, of this loose trio. So I also went with current players. I went with the tackling of Courtney Laws. Obviously him just deleting any, especially backline players. He likes putting a big head on them. You have the leg drive of Artie Severe. And then you have the ball skills of Theo McFarland. And you can just probably create the best blindside flank in the world right now. Tyler, I bloody love that when you put McFarland in. Mate, that guy he's, is ripping the I think the he's premiership. my new favorite player. Oh, mate. You really think he's, he's up there the now. Prim- apart and he is cooking he's going to be uh, he's going to in the next next year or the year after is going to be in the running for european player of the year like mm. uh, if not the world player of the year i just don't know if he's going to play enough international rugby to get that um to be able to get that vote but i suppose we have a world cup next year so you know he might get a shot but from from a European point of view, if he stays at Saracens, he's most certainly going to be in the running for uh, for European Player of the Year by the end of next season. I reckon he is cooking, and he deserves to be in. He's got the ball skills, he's got the speed, he's tall, he's big, he tackles. Man, he's a he's a bloody good rugby player. Cooks, what do you think of uh, McFarland, Luatua, and Taufua Lustria for Samoa in in November? Oh. Oh my goodness, that would be oh that is that is that is spicy. I mean when my father oh, like Sean said he's been ripping it up and Stephen Lotor is one of my f- oh I still think if I, you know, I look back at the all blacks, I know they've got this blind side, they've been this blind side issue and like like the stage had Liam Messam, Lua Tua and Kaino. If if like mm. Lua Tua was just like a little bit younger or so staying in New you'd be my blind side flank and I think for them playing for Samoa that Oh, that is dangerous. Oh, I, I hope, I hope, hope, I hope, I hope it clicks and they cook it in, in at the November Nationals. So let's go to the other um, 
submissions from the from from our dirt trackers. We have um from Andre um Andre Hill. We have um the power of Jonah Lomu, the speed of Perry Baker, the USA Seven Star, and then the nous of Richie McCaw. Not sure about Richie McCaw's nous on the wing, but I think just his general game awareness would make this <laughs> this winger a very dangerous prospect. I reckon what he's created there, oh, Andre. He's basically created a, a Rupini 2.0. I mean, <laughs> the power of Lomu and the speed of Perry Baker is uh, Rupini Tavanebuka, like copy paste. So, um, yeah, shit, hey. Imagine, imagine. That's a dangerous prospect on the wing. I think Rian Lowe will probably get the, the prize for the best contribution. Um, he says the screech of Aaron Smith, the whinge of Johnny Sexton, and the flaps of Dan Bigger. No ref will be safe. Cooks, I think that will probably be, that will make all refs retire from, from World Rugby. Oh, yeah, 100%. You should have also added the shithouse of Nick White as well. on, on top of that. Then, like, <laughs> then, then, then no referee will be safe. The words, you took the words out of my mouth. I, when, when I saw Rian post that, I was like, shit, we need to create the most perfect nine. And the, literally, the words that came into my mind were the shithousery of Nick White. <laughs> I'd probably want that. You'd probably want the um, the vision of Aaron Smith and the kicking ability of uh, of Jaden Hendricks. I think that would probably be one of the most perfect nines. But yeah, the shithousery of Nick White by far. He sums it up. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm surprised Owen Farrell didn't feature in this as well because we know he likes to have a word or two with the ref as well. And apologies to I, I all the. Sexton, uh, uh, I think Sexton has overtaken um, Farrell in that regards. I mean, he's, he, Sexton's starting <laughs> to make Farrell look like um, <laughs> like the like, like like the ref. So like the ref's here, and I mean, Sexton was unbearable on <laughs> in the Sharks game, but also like. This is an unpopular opinion, but like, I'll, if I'm, I'll, I'll still rather have that on my team. Like, I want someone to get playing for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, like I like to get under, like, to ever, I don't know, have a go at the referee, but obviously bring up points for my team to win, get under opposition skin. Like, I'm all for that. Like, if if I'm playing and my captain's on the 16 and some Sharks player, like, decks him because, like, he's always the referee, then his job is done. Like, like this man is like, I'm all for Shithousery. I'm all. Like, like like Nick White, I'm all for that. I mean, it's all it's a big part of the game. So, as a the more people get annoyed, Johnny Sexton, I'm like, oh, gosh, this guy's working. This is this is his plan, and I always think like, every rugby team needs someone like that. Hundreds, like that's the thing though. You put that player in your team's jersey, and you make him captain. <laughs> like he's done. You, if, if there's that balance, you know, if you can do it so well that the referee is still um like is still engaging with you and not telling you to shut up um, and doesn't, that doesn't penalize you for it, then 100% Cooks, I agree with you. You've done your job. It's when, like, I think when Farrell came back, um, he was having, he had a couple of games where he blew off. It was for England when, um, where the ref was just like, listen, you talk to me again, I'll, I'll give the captaincy to someone else because I'm done. Like that's where you don't want it. But like if you can talk enough to the referee that he stays engaged with you, and doesn't penalize you, and it's pissing off the other team, man, you make him your captain and your coach. The good ones, for example, the good, the good folks are going to know, they know how to walk that fine line of, they know when you got to stop, and when, like, 
Because obviously, like, like race, for example, like someone like Sexton and Farrell, they carry a certain gravitas where refs do respect them. They've got, they've got to put a clout. And they know the game as well. Normally, that guy that knows the rules so well, he knows when to bend and knows, and knows the referee as well, which is a big part of the game. And, mm. and honestly, people, the, the time you find it the most annoying is when it's, that's when it's working. It's working against you. Then you're, like, then you're like looking at your captain, like, come on, bro, like, say something. Like, you're just standing in while Sexton's basically like having his way with the referee. <laughs> Like it's, I was watching the game on the weekend. Some of the shots, I'm like, oh, but why? Like, so I'm like, like, too much to toy. Like, like, do something. Also, like, why are we letting Sexton just basically dictate how this game is going and, and how the, and it, it throws you off so much? But I'm like, this is an unpopular opinion, but like, I'm for it if it stays within the lines. Yeah, I think that you make a good point there, Cooks. You also need to earn that reputation. I think the more of a senior citizen, <laughs> excuse the pun for Johnny Sexton's case, but the more of like a respected figure you become in rugby, the easier or the more liberties you can take with how you communicate with the ref. And I mean, look, I, 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 I'm trying to think, maybe the age difference between George Clary and um, Johnny Sexton is not that much in any case. And that's why you can almost talk to him peer to peer. But yeah, I think as captains get a lot more experience, they can you know, navigate like the refs and, and be able to speak to them and make their case when, when they need to, which is, I think, why the likes of Sexton and Alan jones and in the Southern Hemisphere context, Richie McCall, those sort of people get away maybe with a bit more than, you know, a new a new captain like Thomas Dutoy on Saturday. Sean? Let's, let's be honest, though. The people that everyone hates the most are often the most influential people on the park and they're chirping. So you hating him because he's ripping your team apart, whether his mouth is open or not. So when he opens his mouth, you're like, now that's what I'm going to have a go at because I want him off the park or I want everyone to like, you know, hate on the guy because you don't want him there because you know, if he's not there, like he, he's, if he doesn't influence the game with his, with his mental game, he's going to influence it just with the way he sees the game anyway. Mm. Now he's adding another level to it. So we also hate those guys when they're not on our side, just because their abilities alone are world-class. Like if you, all the people we've mentioned, uh, Richie McCaw, well, think about George Gregan, uh, Nick White, um, Owen Farrell, um, uh, Johnny Sexton. Those guys are all match winners, game changers, and phenomenal leaders. And, you know, that's just, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Yeah, let's then let's shift gears and let's go to the Rugby World Cup that started in New Zealand this weekend. And we are looking at the results from the first weekend of games. And South Africa, the, the women's box team had had, a, had the opportunity and the privilege of opening up the tournament with their match against France. France winning that game um, 40 points to five. Um, Fiji was beaten by England 19 points to 84. Um, that game was 14-24 at half time, and then England just went absolutely crazy in the second half. Australia fought well against the against the Black Ferns, and they but they lost unfortunately 40, um, 41 points to 17. Then on Sunday you have the USA being beaten by Italy, who are becoming a bit of a dark horse in this competition, 22 points to 10. Canada beating Japan 41 points to five, and then the final game was Wales sneaking one over Scotland, 18 points to 15. But We'll start with our with our with our with our team, the Springboks, who fought really well in that game because it was nine it, it was nineteen five with twenty minutes to go and the and the box had all of the advantage. And Sean, I think the big lesson for, for the women's box team was or the big positives was 
the 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 set piece and this is, and how solid the set piece was and their defense they just re- they gave the french team nothing for most of the game they oh i can't they, there's not enough like nice things to say about uh, about the springbok coaching staff and and uh, and and the players and everything for what they've done this year alone has probably been one of our greatest years in the in the women's box side with the results we've had with our world rankings and all that. You know, our opening game, it was the opening game of the entire World Cup when we play France who are, are I think, ranked four in the world. Um, you know, they're, they're formidable, formidable force. They're up in there with a chance to winning the World Cup. And we did flipping well. Our, our set piece, um, where, just how we've grown as, as a side from where we were last year to where we are now is phenomenal. Like it's really good. And you know, Babalwa made the, the, um, the rugby world rugby mag, um, team of the week and not one French woman made it. And the, the writing around that was just how impressive the pack was, how, how much work rate the South Africans got through. So their discipline was so good. Their fitness is good. They understand what is required of them. And it is, it, it is possibly the best foundation to have as a side that is on the way up is to have those things sorted. Once those things are sorted, we get to <clears throat> understand ourselves as a team, understand the players around you a little bit better. And then we start playing a little bit more heads up rugby when we get a chance. Um, but yeah, mate, uh, they were incredible. And we've got Fiji and England um, in, our, in our group um, as well. and. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. The South African Fiji game is going to be a cracker, but we really we emptied the tank, and the 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 scoreline doesn't do the game justice. Um, we played so exceptionally well. No, I, I, that was the point I was going to make. Now, Sean, that it, the the scoreline is very deceptive here because we we really had France on the run a little bit, especially in that first um, quarter or the the the. Th- the third quarter of the game or that first 20 minutes in the second half where we were in the, we're in the, we're in the French 22 winning penalty after penalty and we just, you know, couldn't manage to get over. And France just had no answers for the physicality of the Springbok team. And yeah, the, the forwards have a lot to uh, have a lot of credit from, from that game. I think another player I want to big up is Aceza Hele, the, the eighth man or eighth woman, I guess, in this case. Um, I don't know if like if she's just been watching like Jasper Visa videos, but it just seems like we have another like uncompromising ball carrying number eight in, in our Springbok ranks as well. She just, every time she took the ball, she just made meters and was just beating defenders the whole time. Every time that she had an opportunity to, to take the ball up and, and to make tackles, she made the tackles. I think she was second or yeah, she was second for most tackles made in, in, in the Springbok team. And she with with making the second most tackle, she beat the most defenders with four and made ninety six meters, which is massive for for a um, for a forward. She made the most meters in the game, so she had an all round game. I was actually I didn't really watch the other games, but I was a bit surprised she didn't um, make that um, um, rugby world mag um, team of the week because I thought she was the most impressive player from from that game. But yeah, I think there was a lot of credit from the forwards and. They'll have to. They'll have to be the ones that stand up um, in that game against Fiji, because that Fiji backline, especially in that first half, they looked very dangerous. And I think it'll be almost like a classical men's game in that sense that 
Fiji has the backs and has the ability to score from everywhere. But this, if, if the Springboks want to win, they have to keep it tight and, and try to play it up front because if the ball goes wide, they'll have some trouble. I think another quick shout-out can be made to um, the number 12 um, that, that for the Springboks, um, um, Apiwe Nguevu, who really was just a solid presence in, in, the, in the midfield. She carried the ball up um, at times when she was needed. She was able to beat some defenders and she was very strong in defense as well. I think a lot, she seems to be, her and, um, and Zadi Limpupa are the leaders of that defense. And anytime the French were trying to do a, a nice move out of the back and yeah, look, the French, I think well, once they turned it on, you know, with um, Laura Sanchez and, and Caroline Druin, like both of them as halfbacks are just very dangerous, but they were shut down for most of the game up until the, the last quarter when, when, when France was able to get away from us. Yeah, the, the midfield, I, I was going to have a chat about when you mentioned Guevara, I remembered uh, how well she did on, um, on the weekend. And our, our centre pairing is, is actually quite handy. They seem to have quite a, 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 they seem to have a good understanding, one that can most certainly get better. Um, I think like in, they're not as connected um, as, say, Delendi and, and Lucanya Um, if you understand what I'm saying, in terms of like that sort of pairing. But they, they definitely have the goods to, to play, probably play the rest of the tournament together. Um, they're, they're really, really classy. And what you mentioned about Fiji's right, I think it's going to be a, a classic battle of um, a, a fitness and who, who, kind of, who sort of loses that, that uh, focus first. Because we've got to, we've really, our defense is pretty handy. We need to stay really, really tight. And our kicks... When we are kicking onto Fiji, uh, which we, who we play on Sunday, we need to make sure that our kicks are hopefully finding grass, but that our defensive lines are coming up pretty tight because we can't allow Fiji to run at us. Uh, this is basically a conversation, as you mentioned, like we'd probably be having if the, if the men's sides were playing. So, you know, we really need to just be focused and sorted on our defense. I think um, Fiji, we are probably have got more in our tank. I think Fiji were just absolutely hammering away at England. Um, on Saturday and, and just fell off at the end. England just managed to, like England did so well to just absorb, absorb, absorb and then strike. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be a battle of, of the fitness between us two and both sides will be picking um, um, the, that game as a win. So we need to just make sure that we are super disciplined on defense when we putting out their kick, force them into errors and then hopefully crush them after that. Sean, and a few words on the Australia versus New Zealand game, which was probably the game of the weekend. What a game. I, um, that first half, that first 20, 30 minutes, it looked like Australia were going to put 25, 35 points on New Zealand. Um, they were just absolutely all over them, hammering away um, some incredible rugby players. That game, you... Like I was so surprised at the the accuracy and the uh, and the length of some of the passing, like the width that they were getting with two to three passes, um, just going going out wide, um, incredible. And I really thought New Zealand were properly under the pump. If anyone ever gets a, a chance, go back and and watch the hacker again. Um, the the start of that game, Australia versus New Zealand. We all know the history around the two countries. Uh, um, just in, in general and in rugby, it was it was flipping emotional. It was flipping one of the best I've I've seen in a long time. Like it was great, and Australia were up for it. Um, and 
they probably should have scored one extra try because they were 17 nil up. Um, and then when New Zealand kicked into gear, they went and scored 41 un- unanswered points. And my word, when they got going, they, they really looked unstoppable and it shows with the score. But it's, um, I tell you, New Zealand and England right now are probably the favorites. And I'm not sure how the group stages and the knockout stages work, but um, if it works out, those they'll play each other in the final. And um, obviously, Australia will be in there with a shout. They'd want to make a little bit of a comeback. But as it stands now, England-New Zealand final would be um, an absolute treat to watch. But the Kiwis are looking great. And on home soil with extra pressure, um, they really they really put their hands up. Yeah, I, I don't know who allowed it. Um, I don't know who allowed Portia Woodman and Ruby Toy to be in the same team and to be the wings of one team. That is just ridiculous. And Ruby it's just insane. had a fantastic game. Insane. And, and the thing is, I mean, Ruby Toy ran 133 meters. That's <laughs> crazy. And, and, well, and she scored a hat trick. She's, she's incredible. She's probably, she's probably up there, one of the best rugby players in the top five rugby players in the world at the moment. She's ridiculous. She's doing it all. She's, she's turnovers, runs, her work rate's ridiculous. Um, Cooks, you shared a tweet about it, about her work rate and how she play, uh, how she plays. Like she's ridiculous at the moment. And she's such a, a beaut to, um, to listen to for interviews. She really, she speaks well. She's super honest and, and so relaxed. She's, she's a great ambassador for the sport. And like you said, Sean, like it's, like, oh, she was so good in the weekend. I mean, like the one trial for, for Woodman's trial where she catches, the, where Australia clears, she catches the ball out wide, plays the pass inside, manages to be first received for the next two phases, and still put push her Woodman away for the trial. Like she's basically like, you know, she, you know, she was wild. I thought she was she was a massive difference. I remember the first twenty minutes, like I really thought. I mean, Australia came out firing, and the, the yellow card came, and I was like, oh man, this is going to be a long day. Long day for the Black Ferns, but you can see the work that Wayne Smith's done there. I thought, the, like, like you said, the accuracy of the Black Ferns was, especially after the, the terrible 20, 25 minutes they had, it was a joy to watch. But yeah, having Portia Woodman and Ruby Tui in the, in the same team, it's, it, is, it, is, it is actually a cheat code. Like, someone has to, might have said a complaint to, to World Rugby. The, the, they've, they've got a cheat code, but what they've done is they've, they've been quite nice to everyone. They've put them as far away from the play as possible. You know, one's on the left wing, one's on the right wing. Like that's like the nicest thing that, that the coaches could have done for anyone. Like we have to play them. So we'll put them as far away from everyone as possible. Um, not that that helped much because they're completely, they're massively involved in everything, but yeah, well, they I, I can't wait. I cannot wait for this weekend to watch more of it. Um, I'm going to try and catch up on some of the games that I missed. But uh, the bonus of it being in New Zealand is it's on super early in the morning. So um, we get a whole full day of rugby. Yeah. And just to explain to everyone, because um, the, the, just how the, the, the tournament works. So there's three pool games for, there's three pools and um, pool three, um, three pools of four teams. So in our pool for the box, we have France, the fourth best team in the world, England, the, the, the best team in the world and Fiji. And it then after the pool stages, it goes to the quarterfinals. So in the quarterfinals, the qualifiers will be the two best teams in each of the pools and then two of the third of the best third place teams. So because of the numbers, that means that we have to 
like the we have to be at least one of those two best third place teams or at least second if we want to qualify for for the quarterfinals. So, you know, realistically, of course, this, the 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 Bok team will probably not fancy their chances to beat England and to end their twenty six or twenty five match winning streak at the moment. So we'll have to hope to be one of the best third place teams in order to qualify for the quarterfinals. And uh, yeah, how it looks right now um, with the results from the first weekend, we probably will need not only a win, but probably it will help us to get some points on Fiji so that we, if it comes down to points differences and all that sort of stuff, because we'll have to save some in the bank for the England, um, for England and hopefully them, ask them to not beat us by a few points. So all in all, we need, if we want to qualify for the quarterfinals, it is possible, which is a great thing, but we need to win against Fiji and we probably need to win quite well. So it'll be very interesting to see how that goes on in the weekend. I think the the, the other pools are also quite strong um, with New Zealand, Australia and Wales and Scotland. That has a quite a high standard in the pool. Um, Wales and Scotland have recently professionalized their game. Australia, you know, is probably... Uh, you know, like they've had the le- least rugby, but they have so much talent, especially from the the, the sevens players that they have. Um, Emma Chancellor is a really great loose forward as well. Then the Canada, USA, Italy, um, Japan pool is also really good. I think it's, like I said, Italy might be a bit of a dark horse that could sneak into a semifinal. And um, I don't think that'll be much of a surprise. And yeah, just a shout out to um, Squid Rugby. He did a preview and looked at all the teams um, in the in the World Cup. So you can watch those three videos. I think they're basically all 15 minutes each. So just less than an hour of your time and you'll be at least much more um, knowledgeable about the, the women's rugby game. And yeah, I think there's a lot of content creators from around the world that are talking about this. And yeah, I think you need to jump onto this World Cup as soon as possible because it'll be fantastic and there's some great rugby to watch. So let's move to the United Rugby Championship. Oh, Sean? Tyler, I'm I'm so sorry. I just wanted to chat about the the Wales Scotland game. Um, Go for it. I, I didn't realize you were going to wrap up. I was hoping to to sneak in there. I'm I'm so sorry. But what an absolute cracking game of rugby! And I'll tell you something. Um, so there's a there's a South African a guy that's coaching um, the defence of the Scotland women, Tyrone Holmes. Uh, he has one cap for Scotland. Uh, he's a Cape Town lad. Um, but Scotland really, really can consider themselves um, unlucky in that game. I really thought, you know, Wales had their backs against the wall for plenty long time and probably I would think would would have been lucky to only get one yellow card. Um, I thought the referee was very, very lenient with multiple warnings. And um, Scotland managed to claw, claw back and level things up after being all over Wales. And then in the 85th minute, Wales get awarded a penalty and... And it was shit. I can't remember how far out it was, but it wasn't banging in front of the poles. Like it was in front of the poles. It was maybe like 35, 40 meters away. And, um, and Kira Bevan stepped up. She came off the bench and um, she slotted it to win. Flipping brilliant. And it's massive in terms of, in terms of their tournament. But um, yeah, it, an absolutely great game of rugby. Scotland all over them. Wales just defended, 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 held on. And then managed to seal it at 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 the death. So yeah, all in all, it was a good weekend of uh, opening game opening games of rugby. And as Wales that are facing New Zealand um, in the in this weekend's game, so that'll be a big game to also see if Wales can maybe. 
I think the New Zealand team is still on their growth journey because they've just transferred to um, Wayne Smith being the head coach. So the possibility of a, of a shock um, is in the offing as well. I think New Zealand will be a big um, wildcard team in this um, tournament. But yeah, I think next week games, they'll, they're, they're all quality. England versus France being one of them, that'll be the main game on Saturday. I think, you know, that's usually a big, uh, that's the, the deep big game in the Six Nations and France has been the one team that's given England a game in the last two years. So we'll have to see how France goes. They do seem to be on a downward, yeah, a bit of a downturn. They lost to Italy before the tournament and they made hard work of beating the box on Saturday. And then on Sunday, Wales is playing New Zealand um, at four and then at quarter to seven for the South African viewers, South Africa is playing Fiji. So that'll be the big game for everyone to watch um, on Sunday. Cooks, I think you can make an exception to wake up at 6.45 on a Sunday for the for the Bok team. No, I'll, def- I'll definitely be awake. I'm not like those losers in Australia. <laughs> it oh, works we should just time. name our pod. We should just name our pod the the seven a.m. kickoff pod just for shits and giggles. <laughs> you, you, you can you can give it like a seven o'clock for a World Cup. World Cup is every four years. Not those idiots have Blenders of Cup every year and just decided to play rugby on a Thursday because they can't play properly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move to the URC then. Um, yeah, a, 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 a balanced weekend finally for the South African teams with two wins and two losses. All four South African teams were away. Um, the two winners were the Lions beating Edinburgh 22 points to 19 in a tight game. And the Stormers winning 37 points to 20 in, Zeb- in, in Parma against Zebra. And then losses for the Sharks. They lost 54 points to 34 against Leinster. And what turned out to be a bit of a basketball game, it seemed like. And then Glasgow um, beating the Bulls 35 points to 21, which is actually quite a comprehensive um, win in some in some respects. So let's start with the Lions game. You know, I think, you know, the Lions are probably the, the most, the biggest surprise team for, 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 for most viewers and especially for viewers in South Africa. Cooks, I think, uh, I'm not too sure where to start with the Lions except to go like, it seems like, they are making sure they they are getting all their young players together and playing a really good brand of rugby at the moment. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the Lions have, for me, have been the story so far on the South African side of the URC. I mean, to go and <laughs> we all probably figured they'll go zero for three on tour, and I get to come back with three wins and uh, and three good wins. I mean, I, I mean, that's a very good Edinburgh side that beat up the weekend. And um, you know, watching the game that for, for about sixty minutes, it sort of looked like. Edinburgh had chances to sort of pull away. They kept making silly errors, kept being silly errors. But I thought the Lions defensively were fantastic again. Um, I think for me that's been the, the big the, the big story with the Lions is, is, is how great they've been defensively. And I thought Jock Freeze, obviously, is the defensive coach. So he's done an amazing job with that young side. And, 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 you, and you sort of thought come... At the end of the season, because the number of players they've lost, you're like, oh, they're going to struggle. But... I mean, Enko von Weyck, I mean, obviously he's getting all the plaudits, but I think for me, an unsung hero has been someone like Marius Lowe, who has been incredible for them since he's, since he's come over. Because, I mean, they lost Berger Wodendale last year, who was arguably one of the best 12s, SA12s in the competition, and for him to come in, and the captain for Marius Lowe to come and step up, and he's been so impressive. And, I mean, like you said, like, there's, there's, there's one fetters like the, the Enko von Weyck's, um Johnny Lombard. I mean, there's so many guys who stood up, but just an incredible story, and I think um, I, 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 for one, didn't see it coming, and I, I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong by this Lions side. 
Yeah, I think there's that meme that goes around on 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 Twitter a lot of Shaquille O'Neal going, "I'm sorry, I wasn't familiar with your game," and that I feel like is my response to Marius Lowe. I just did not see him being this good for the Lions. I thought he was just a, a more of a stopgap um, signing for them. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like I thought, I think we'd seen him obviously at the Sharks, and um, it was obviously at the Sharks. You kind of never felt like that jersey was his own because I mean, it was always. Those SJs, and then you, because you cover 13, there's I'm there, but sort of seeing him at the Lions and come across and sort of be like, like you want to have a big marquee signings and you you come to fully avoid that burgers left. And I thought, yeah, he's been phenomenal. I think, um, yeah, it just shows for us, just adds even more depth for us. And, um, and to know that arguably our weakest, I mean, in inverted commas, so the African side goes on two and wins three games. I think it puts us in a good position going forward in the competition. I mean, last year, we couldn't buy a win. All the SSL couldn't buy a win at this stage. Now it's like, we just, we just like winning away from, winning everywhere. So that's, that's very exciting. And then Cooks, um, we know you're our man at Supersport. So you might have the inside scoop here. What is the beef between Ron Fenter and Hamish Watson? Did Hamish Watson say something to him before the game? Like, because it just looked like Fenter was taking it personally against him. Um, on, on Friday night. <laughs> Shame. Oh, man. Poor Hamish Watson. Um, was, it, was it last year's Six Nations where he probably made like a thousand tackles and he didn't miss none? He and hasn't I, missed a tackle, and, I think, in two years in Test Rugby or something like that. Yeah, something like that. And, and, and Ron Fender was just like, you know, like that. If, or maybe Ron Fender really wanted someone else to go on the Lions tour and, and, and Hamish Watson <laughs> stopped, stopped one of his players and going there. He's like, you know what, I'm going to. I'm gonna take this out on you. I mean, like, I mean, also like, these kids are gonna respect these days for. I mean, this is a British. This is a lion we're talking about. Nineteen years old, and he bounces him, and poor he's getting, getting caught off, and then he's probably looking at him like, "Is this a Hamish Watson? You guys have told me that he's so good." Like, but man, he, he, he didn't he's, bounce him. Like Hamish Watson actually got airtime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he he flew away. Like if you cleared him out that far away from the ruck, you get blown up for pushing him too far away from the ruck. That's how far. He was pushed away. <laughs> sure. if, I, if I'm Hamish Watson, I'm go, I'm not coming back until my hair is long again. I think Hamish Watson we're sort of cutting his hair. Maybe maybe the, the love got to me like no, let me let me cut my hair. Maybe there's a, there's a few more deals coming, so I'm gonna look the part for the social media. I think Hamish Watson still needs to grow his hair out again and just go back to tackling nine thousand Irishmen and and Scotsman because Rod Fenters. <laughs> oh man, that was that was too much. No, that was a bit, yeah. I think. I, I don't know what got into him. I don't know what he ate in the morning, but he just went and just made a personal with him. Even there's even that big hit, the tackle that he made on on Watson as well. And to make a lion like Watson, especially one known for his tackling fly like that, GC must be a special talent. I think also quick shout outs. Go on, Sean. Sorry. Maybe maybe he was just like, well, you're actually not a real lion. I'm a real lion. You. <laughs> That's what he turned. <laughs> maybe he was like. Pfft. I don't respect those lines. I'll show you what a lion is. But flip, man, manhandled, manhandled. Have you even seen a lion before, Hamish Watson? <laughs> I think, I think there was definitely something personal there. I think also some shoutouts. I think we've mentioned Henko van Veek. He's just turning on performance after performance. Sean, I had a a quick poll after on the on the Saturday morning, just asking people what their opinion is on which Lions player should be a bolter for the. Primark Select squad and my options were um Stisa Tolle, Henko van Veik, Gianni Lombard, 
Um, I can't remember what the fourth option was now. But yeah, those are three of the options. And Henko van Veek just ran away with it, um, Sean. I think he just had another impressive game. And he just looks the part. In attacking, he looks really good. But I think the, the most impressive thing is this work rate and this defensive work that he does every game. Yeah, so um, Jared did an incredible um, gift drop on, on Henko van Veek uh, two weeks ago. And he's highlighting a lot of like his defensive abilities what he what he does, how he he drifts across the decisions he makes, and what he does to uh, to the attackers. He's also um, a youngster, but he's quite he's he's quite bulky. You know, he's a big kid. He's got quite a lot of gas as well, so he's able to make up for an error quite quickly, a la uh, Rico Ioani. You know, um, so like that's not like overshadowing all the other good work he does. You know, if he makes an error, he's young, he, he manages to fix it. He's got an incredible work rate. Like he's loving life. He's he's the kid that he's like, you know, I just want to be a professional rugby player. And then when he becomes one, he's like, this is the best time of my life. I'm just going to make sure that everyone knows that this is what I want to do. And uh, he's cooking at the moment. And the best part is what I'm loving about this, this side is there's so many youngsters, like with the greatest of respect to the Lions and the players, there's a lot of guys there that people like you wouldn't put them in other sides and they're all coming up, they're playing together, they're playing for each other and they're performing, um, you know, not going there to try and just show off for themselves and, and stuff like that. Um, he's, a, he's a great prospect. I think he could probably fit reasonably well in the wing as well if you need him there. Um, but he really looks quality at 13 um, uh, on defense and on attack. Um, so I definitely think he's someone to look out for, um, in the future. He's, he's definitely got, he's definitely has a future. He's going to, he's going to be a very, very good pro club rugby player. And I'd like to see him take the step up above that. I, I think he's got the goods to be in the game, um, for, for many, many years. I'd like to see if he can push it up into test level in the future. He's still a youngster. Yeah. Typical South Africa. Some you have years where you don't really have too many quality thirteens and now it's raining quality thirteens and now Inka van Veik is just joining that that illustrious line. And at last quick shout out is to that Lions eight nine ten combination, um, Cooks. Frankie Horn, Sanele Noamba and Gianni Lombard. I think in all of them in some ways have either not really been in the foreground of like, you know, options in their positions because there's players playing and, and the other unions are playing better, but they've had a great start to the season. Um, Gianni Lombard has come back well from his injury and come back from Japan. Uh, Franco Horn, he just looks like such a solid number eight. And I don't know if it's because of the scrum cap, but like there is a lot of Warren Whiteley in him. And Nohamba's just had a bit of a renaissance in, in Joburg so far. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Gianni Lombard for me is a big story of him coming back. From Japan, he's playing well. We always knew the talent was there. So it's great to see him sort of, to see him make a step up. And obviously, I like the way they're using the two tens. I mean, they've got Jordan Hendricks as well, and you've got Jordan Lombard. And, it's, and sort of, it's a nice way to see them push out there to see who can be, who can be the big line state. I mean, obviously, I still lean towards Jordan Hendricks. I'd love to see Lombard at 15, maybe giving a run there. But I think obviously, at the moment, they're going with the experience of, uh, of, of Wubies there. And I mean, I'm just going to see it. But yeah, Frankie Horn as well. He's been churning out performance after performance. And yeah, in Mohamba, it's just great to see him playing rugby again. But like, and playing good rugby again. But I think the Lions, is a, you look at their squad and the guys are playing well and the guys are making step-ups. I mean, 
if Mone van der Burg is coming off your bench, who, are, who may, may not have the strongest game on on Friday, but if he's coming off your bench, you know your scrum stocks are, are, are sitting nice because I'm a big Mone van der Burg fan. And, but it's just nice to see Nama playing well uh, and playing consistent rugby. But I, I'm really excited with this Lions project. And um, yeah, <laughs> at this rate, we could have all, we could have four SSIs in the playoffs. I mean, knowing that was, <laughs> I feel like we're the New Zealand team with the URC. Yeah, I, oh, maybe let's save that for a little bit later because I think I got myself into trouble with England, I, oh, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales and Italian fans for my tweet suggesting the same. Let's talk, let's move to the Stormers versus Zebra game. Stormers starting quite well. They open up a big gap um, in the first half, but Zebra came back as they always do in the second half. Um, I think as Clicks has tweeted every week, you need to remember that Zebra is a great second half team. So it looked tight for a while, but then the Storms were able to come away and get the bonus point. And Sean, I think if people are wanting the, the Sasha Gomezulu um, hype train to slow down a little bit, they were well disappointed on Saturday because he put in a great performance and I'm sure we're going to try to make him president by the end of next week now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, credit to you, you picked him to start at 12. I, 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 don't, I didn't think that he couldn't play 12. I just didn't think that he'd be doing it in the URC so soon as a starter, you know. I really wanted him to focus and be a, a, in that 10, but um, Dobbo had, had different ideas about it and and that's why he's the coach and I'm, I'm just on Twitter, you know, <laughs> because Sasham Gomazulu, what, what a game. Like, you know, everyone has been banging on about it and then the hype train is not going to slow down. Um, he's a youngster. He did make errors, but he made up for it really, really well. He had Lubok on his inside. He had Alipatelua on his outside. He had Willemster coming in from fullback. So he had enough around him um, from guys that he's been with since last year because he made his URC debut last year. He was very much on the fringes, um, but very handy at at twelve, and and he was handed the the kicking duties as well, which I was actually super happy to see um, because Lubok's been kicking the whole time, but uh, with um, Willemse there and Lubok there, you can give him Gomazulu the ball and say kick, you know, get your eye, get it sorted out. If it doesn't work, we've got options, so don't stress. There's no pressure, you know, and um, yeah, the kids got the goods, like. There's, there's no doubt about it. We, everyone knew it. We just, you just need to see that one game and, uh, and to, to know it for sure. And he, he stood up at 12. You, know, you, you can't hide away at 12. That is probably the one position you cannot hide away on. Um, you know, uh, 12 and 13. At, if you're hiding away at 10, they could move some players around and, and whatnot. But in the midfield, you, you're there front and center. So um, incredible, incredible performance. He racked up a whole bunch of points uh, and uh, man of the match. He got man of the match, right? I think so. I think he did. Yeah, well, like he, he, he did in had... Mars, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> Which is all that matters, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Even before we talk about the game, I feel like I've got to give, I've, I've got to give um, a double a shout out. I mean, talking about Sasha at 12. I mean, tell you know, you guys know on Twitter, there's a, there's a, there's a whole big thing about um, letting the hoopers hoop. In the just a possible term, just let the guys play. And Dobbo is the president, CEO, minister of letting the hoopers hoop. If you want to see ballers, Dobbo will organize it for you. Because it's too, I was looking at Stormers too. I was like, that background is like, I'm like, Dobbo's just put Willem's out there, Sasha. And like, 
and Marnie and like Loyua and it's like Angelo Davids. I'm just saying like Hudsonburg and like like we all still wait like sometimes we sit back and SA fans like we, we get these guys who are spoilers and great to watch and fan favorites for or players for the streets and inside for sometimes we tend to see like maybe one of them like or like maybe we should try and put Dobbs like you know what guys when the hoopers do hoop when the guys do cook just put them on one big pot and let's see what happens so shout out to Dobbo and it's such a and I just I just, I just um I just think what he does is also I think you can see the camaraderie in the way the Stormers play and I know for a long time the Stormers are known to be this defensive side especially during Super Rugby and for them now for to flip it over to become like the the streets the streets team because everyone's like everyone loves watching the Stormers play now because the Hoopers are hooping. No, they're definitely hooping and if you have a if you can put out a backline of Herschel Yankees Mani Lebok. Sasha Gomezulu, Alapati Leua, uh, Angelo Davids, and Suleiman Hudsonberg in the wing, and Damon Phillips at fullback. That is absolutely insane amount of talent. And I'm, I'm, it's we've gone with Dobbo. I think this time last year, or maybe you know near December, we we're talking last year. But why is he not playing Halant, Willemsen, and Lubok in the same backline? Like he should just let the players go and let them let them express themselves, let the hoopers hoop. And now it's gone. He's gone. 180 on that so it's been great that he's been a he's he's definitely the 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 pastor the 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 ceo like you said of of the let the hoopers hoop movement um another player to shout out cooks god i was going to say like if there's any player stuck in a in a union somewhere that the, the, the us as fans or the tourist streets feel like they need to express themselves we've got to send them down to to, to province <laughs> i mean if really wants to retire anytime soon from internationals or wants to finish up in cape town he, he's Ooh. got to go to the stormers i mean any any player that we feel like is a baller and is like we restrict somewhere we've got we've just got to send them down to the stormers that's where they're going to be from now on <laughs> one to see lesi milani anyway um another player to shout out is andre Juchefenter, and he's i think he had a really good game himself um on on saturday he you know, when you look at his stats, three defenders beaten, 30 meters made, and, and 14 tackles as well. I think he's, yeah, Sean, I think he's definitely looking like, I mean, he's only 21 this year, and he's looking like another quality hooker option to, to, add, um, to add for the future as well. Yeah, very, very handy. And I was a little, he, he played a couple of times last season. I was a little bit skeptical, but to be fair, I was skeptical about quite a few... Uh, <laughs> A few things that were happening at Western Province and Stormers last year. So, um, but I, I, I thought it might have been a bit young and a bit green. Um, and obviously, the Stormers were struggling with hookers at the time as well. But he's really, really classy. Like, he's really lifted his game up um, nicely. He's really sort of gone into pro rugby and the URC quite seamlessly. Um, from a lineout, from a lineout point of view, Stormers did. Um, did okay. They only lost three of their 16 lineups. They had a whole bunch of them. So listen, 81% is not ideal, but it, it's um, it's where they it's where they are. And, you know, he's uh, he's definitely going to be in the match day 23 uh, moving forward. And when Dweber comes back, um, I reckon he he definitely uh, he's definitely there and thereabouts. So um, we'll be seeing a lot more of him. Let's move now to the Sharks versus Leinster game. And yeah, I think, and there's two Sharks fans on this podcast, so maybe I should ask them before um, making my own assumptions cooks. Is it more a case of the Sharks, 
is it, is it a case where you can be happy as a Sharks fan that maybe that they perform quite well on Saturday? They said no, Tyler. Um, oh, it's like it's a weird game because, like, I, I, I'll give you an example where we, we sort of summed up, summed the game up. Where the Sharks went up 12, 12 10 and just scored, playing good rugby. Kick, receive the kickoff, and then Grant Williams kicks the ball straight out of the full straight afterwards, lands up, goes and scores. And like you sit there and you're like, for every good the Sharks did, there was a mistake and lands and lands to punish. Like if there's ever a way where you sort of see what Leinster is, I was, I was, I was watch that game and see what happens when you make mistakes. They will pick you up. Sharks showed a lot of glimpses. Uh, I think. The Sharks, for me, with ball in hand at the moment, are looking very, very good. A lot more threatening than they did last season. And, and it's exciting to see. I mean, like, Takira Abrams has been sensational since getting back. But, yeah, I think just, like, some costly mistakes. That, that's the big one on the weekend. Just, like, silly areas where you're playing as a quality side like Leinster. They've got, they've got Johnny Sexton back. You will, you will get punished. And especially going down, going down, going down 14 men, in at the RDS and with obviously the URC coach on the bench, you're not gonna. It's a recipe for disaster, and I think the Sharks will take a lot out of that. But I think they'll be frustrated that again, like most sides play against Leinster, sort of be in that boat where it's like, oh, we could have had them if we didn't, if we didn't make this two or three areas, which is and that's Leinster for you. I thought Leinster also, also they were also very good, and they sort of slowly but surely clicking into gear as well. But yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a yes and no, like and. A lot of positives, but yeah, just too many silly errors. Sean, what's the most positive part of the Sharks game um, before we start laying into them? <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was winding up to have a go, but um, I, I think the most positive thing is going to the RDS and scoring thirty four points. You know, you um, as much as Leinster do well to to win games, they play really well. They're, they're almost like a metronome. Um, very often they go through, you know, the basics and they do it really well and they'll just punish you. And before you know it, you, you're staring down the barrel of, of 50 points, which the Sharks did eventually, but it, it was different. You know, the, the Sharks scored five tries and, uh, and, and that's huge. Um, I think, you know, like that's probably what they wanted. They were like, we've got to play rugby. We've got to score points if we want to win this game. And it fell away at the end. They were in in with the shot for a long time. Um, but the positives is, is going out and scoring those points and playing that rugby and going down and then fighting it back before the giving it up after doing something good. They, they kind of, they were kind of a big arm wrestle on and I thought they, they held out Leinster well, but just didn't have, have it for 80 minutes. Yeah. And like um, you guys have mentioned, I think some good tries were scored and like, Fuck yeah, Abraham's looking really good and looking really threatening. That move that opened up the 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 Leinster defense for Apelele Fasi to score is also really good. But yeah, I think Cooks, you mentioned um, some of the silly mistakes that let Leinster back in. Sean, yeah, let's turn on to the other side of the coin about like what what what's irking you about their performance on Saturday. Well. It's not just Saturday, it's this whole season um, and a, quite a lot of last season. They, they make a lot of errors and they've been good enough 
to get wins, but also not good enough to get wins last season. But this season, they've been doing well enough to play well, go to sleep, and still win a game um, in, and, in the most part. And it needed to not happen on Saturday. They needed to play well and stay playing well. And they were punished for their errors. And that's what's going to happen. That's what uh, European rugby is all about. Uh, and it's the same in Super Rugby, to be, to be very honest. You play Super Rugby, you're not on your game in Super Rugby. The chances of you getting, get, taking 30 to 40 points are good. And, uh, and that's the, the issue that the Sharks need to fix. There, there's something like they need, to, they need to go out and have a whole bunch of beers and, and just shoot it, shoot it out. Like find out what's going on, where the, where the issues lie, um, get it fixed. And, you know, because it, they're getting by on, on just purely on their talent and the depth in their squad. But if you look at Leinster, I mean, Leinster named a strong side. So the Sharks, very few people expected the Sharks to win. But the Sharks were competitive. Leinster named a strong side, okay? They were up, I mean, Jason Jenkins, I just another shout out to Jason Jenkins who uh, is playing some great rugby at Leinster. He's very quickly turned into a hero there. But, I mean, Leinster lost Ruddock early in the game, five minutes in. That's huge. Then they lost Lama. Okay, the only downside of them losing Lyme was they brought Ringrose on, who, who was playing, who played really well. Defensively, he was a bit leaky. The irony behind the whole um, Ringrose thing is if Lama was on, I think the Sharks probably um, would have scored maybe one or two less tries. Um, I thought, you know, Lama would have been better as a defensive option. Ringrose played, played out wide. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he was playing on the wing when he came on. So, like, that, that's the thing. The Sharks need to minimize their errors. Like, this whole. Um, I'm going to score more than you to win the game, even though we play badly. Is not sustainable. Like it's exciting, but you you are more upset by that at the end of the game because you know you can be better, and that's what the Sharks need to be. Just quite frankly, they need to be better. Cooks. I mean, we talked about um, Dobbo letting the Hoopers hoop in, in in Cape Town, but yeah, what what what's the difference here in Durban? Is is Everett letting the Hoopers hoop or the Hoopers hooping too much? Like how like there's so much talent in the Sharks team and I'm and I suspect slash expect that um they'll probably bring in a lot of the Springbok um players that weren't able to play in the last few weeks um into the team on Saturday because they have a home game. Um why aren't why why isn't it not coming together for for them? Is it a matter of chemistry like Sean has mentioned? I think I think for the Sharks it's so tough because and I, I, I mean I saw a couple of tweets that going there asking the Sharks why we're not playing the spring box and unfortunately the Sharks are in a situation where they box oh it's here Kulisi here Benetzebeth um uh, what you call it and like Ox and Mapimpi and Am and guys who are critical members of the spring box the guys who play week in week out I mean guys I mean uh, Sharks fans may hate me but. If I don't if I don't see Evan Esmith playing for the Sharks until next year, I'm going to be a very happy man because that oak needs all the rest in the world. I mean, you can't ask me to play 15 tests a year and then go and play and you know play to easily get paid. But I'm just, I think the Sharks. I think for them, the chemistry part is going to be the hardest to put together because because of for me, I feel there's so many box leaving and you sort of trying to in, integrate all them back. And that's that's the hard part that everyone's going to work with. You look at the Stormers, for example, like they'll, they'll lose someone like Damon Willemser and they'll lose someone like, like Osho Yankees who, when they come back, they, they come back seamlessly because that's sort of when, 
like Damon Pelusa was at the start of the season wasn't a, a starting Springbok. So Dobbo sort of, sort of built that side around how they want to play. So when he comes back, he fits back, he fits back in seamlessly. Oceanus at the beginning with the Sharks is the likes of the guys haven't spent a lot of time together. And yes, they've had a preseason, but but then they then the box disappear for six weeks and then they come back and then you've got to integrate all the both came back. I think it's it's a lot tougher for Sean Everett and I, I don't know how you do it. Mate, you you've absolutely nailed it. Like the Stormers last year grew through all of that, um, the pressure, all that shit that was going on galvanized them. And the Stormers and Western Province grew together as a team. And by team, I mean like all the the the, the squad players and the outside fringe players. And they grew up together and they've created what we're seeing now is part of the Stormers, where the Sharks have got so many new players and so many new things. They almost seem to have lost their identity. They're like waiting for the players and the guys to just kind of do it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely speaking out of turn in, in, in what I'm saying, and I'm not saying that they're not trying to, to do that, but that's how it looks like from the outside, where they are not... Um, that when the storm, uh, when the spring box and everyone comes back, they're kind of like, well, it's going to have to work now because look at all this quality we've got. But those guys also need the direction. They're not going to come in and say, this is how we do it. This is how we play at the Sharks. If you look at a lot of those spring, but well, if you look at um, Etzebeth and Khaleesi and Obanambi, they're all very new to the Sharks. So they, they're not going to go in and start dictating how things go. That, that needs to come from the team. It needs to come from the management, from the, the wider. It comes from the fringe players, from the under-20s and stuff like that. Like, what is our ethos? How are we working? You fit in. Those players are not going to take over. They, they will need to fit in. They do need some direction there. And it's, it's nothing bad about the Springboks. It's, it's really how the team, they fit into a team environment. What's best for the team? They are not the team. They're coming back into the team. They, they, they don't dictate what's going on. The Sharks have to dictate that. And I think that's what's, what's possibly missing. Well, I think that's the, the kind of dynamic that's, that's going, that's very different at the Sharks and at the Stormers and what the Sharks are striving to get. Because Jake White's created that at the Bulls. 100% Sean. I think, um, and, and I think obviously, I think you, you look at, I mean, like, I mean, you still get the, the, the sort of the commodity in the camp. It's there. I think everyone, Gets along. I think it's just, like I said, it's just about playing, spending. I think the Sharks, if there's ever a side, for example, that needs to spend at least like three, four months together, it's them. Because if you look at, if you look at the, with the Springboks, they sort of suffer the most when the internationals are away. Because it's like with the Stormers, like you look at, like I said, they all built together under Jake. They all sort of grew and built together and they weren't losing like the spine of their team. They were able to keep the Krublers and the Nokias and the Ari Flows and then the more. They all pull through that. With the Sharks, it's like you're losing Siakulisi. You're losing Look on your arm. You're losing Mapimpi. You're losing everyone fusses away. You lose now. Now you must make to add Evan Itzebeth into that mix. You almost like the Sharks sort of need to spend, because even now they, they'll come together for about three weeks and the box leave again for a month. So it's like, it's, I think the Sharks, I think every year they'll sort of be that side that gets better come February, March, or March, April, when. When the time when the guys spend more time together, because that's the the, the, the big difference with the new competitions. Because I mean, when you, when you play Super Rugby, the guys play end of the year tour, rest in December, but they still come back in January. You sort of spend a six week period before Super Rugby before you play. Now it's guys are leaving, coming back mid 
competition. So, for example, if an Instabet's available and you see a who's available this weekend, that's after the guys get back from, from Italy. So those guys, they've been in South Africa waiting. Now you've got to try to integrate them for a week of rugby and then they're going to leave again. So as much, I'm not sure everybody's under a lot of pressure, but it, it's, he arguably probably has the biggest job because there's a lot to try and build the shots and to, to go moving forward. And I think that's going to be the biggest one, in, integrating a lot of new guys into what they're trying to build now. Yeah, these will be the issues now that the Sharks will have to navigate in the next few weeks. They're coming back home. They're facing Glasgow and Ulster the next few weeks. So hopefully they can get a, a run of wins before the, the, the November break. Sure, let's start with you with the Bulls game. The, um, Glasgow winning 35 points to 21 against the Bulls. It's the Bulls' first loss of, of, of the competition this season. Yeah, what what well, from the from what you saw the game? What what do you think was the the big thing that the Bulls didn't do on Saturday? Uh, p- play rugby. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Um, <laughs> Glasgow, Glasgow. <laughs> yeah, Shisha, I'm not making any friends, but um, yeah, it's okay. I'm uh, I'll keyboard warrior this. Um, Glasgow. So what I didn't realize is I don't think, and I speak on a correction, but I know it's a long time, but I think it's two years now Glasgow haven't lost at home. And um, I really honestly, like with the Bulls, it's the first time the Bulls have ever played there. I was like, it wouldn't really matter for the Bulls. I think the Bulls as a team and a squad and with Jake White, I think they would have, you know, um, they would have been able to talk around through it and and go through there. But the the bulls were just not at the races like is is probably the nicest way of putting it they just didn't get up for it they 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 were bullied um Ulrich Lowe was getting involved in in a few uh, a few niggles and a few goodies uh, i will say something though there was a little bit of a dust up between uh, george horn and and Ulrich Lowe and there is a very very if you watch the video of it there's a very uh, distinct moment where Horn literally assumes the fetal position and you can see he's fearing his life because he grabbed Ulrich Lowe and then Ulrich Lowe was on top of him and over him and there were just bodies flying trying to clear Lowe off and Lowe was sticking to him like a limpet and I, I, probably some poo came out. Like he just really <laughs> shat himself. It was, it was incredible. But I, I digress, I digress. Like the Bulls just, just didn't come to the party. They really, they really struggled. Um, they it's hard to think of one player that didn't perform for the Bulls. Um, you know, we're expecting the Bulls to win. But the the cold hard truth is Glasgow Warriors pitched up to play and they outplayed the Bulls. They really came there with a proper game plan. They sorted it out and they really just dominated. Like they dominated the tackle numbers. They made more, they've covered the top three tackles. Um, uh, Cancellieri was flipping out of this world he his the way he was playing the 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 gaps he was taking the work he was doing the passes he was squeezing off was was ridiculous like ridiculous and um um an- another uh, a guy that needs a mention is is Tui Pilotu, who i thought was phenomenal like he uh Mackay was his first game back was also ripping the balls to shreds but Tui Pilotu in the backs was probably the player for me probably the best player. He was, um, he was hard. He was abrasive. He was putting in kicks. He was passing. He was running. Um, he was doing all sorts of goodies. But yeah, the, the bottom line is um, the Bulls were just blown away. They didn't get a foothold. Glasgow executed. 
everything they needed to do to absolute perfection. Yeah, if you look at the stats here, Glasgow, when you're looking at turnovers, Glasgow had 11 turnovers made by their players while the Bulls had only three. So that's probably one way to lose a rugby match. Shout out to Xander Faggerson, um, the tight head prop for Glasgow, who had four turnovers in the game, along with 15 tackles. He was the third highest tackler and he made the most turnovers in the game. A brilliant game from him. Um, Sintu Majezi as well, um, against his old side, making two turnovers um, coming in, coming on in the second half. So he he, he had a good game. It, it looks like, but I think that the stat that damns the Bulls the most is the 28 missed tackles that, that they had um, against Glasgow. Um, that's just unacceptable. Cooks, um, with, um, I think, you know, Jake White this week was saying that you can't play someone like Jan Horsen with his injury um, history on his knee. You can't play him in those like um, 4D um, Astro pitches. It seems like every time Cook, um, Jake White disrespects a, a, a an overseas opponent, their the team gets beaten. I mean, remember last year with Connacht, he basically said that they're a Leinster B or C team. So maybe not the best tactic to go to go forward with for, for Jake. <laughs> Definitely not. I think, um, yeah, every time yeah, Jake sort of, sort of shoots stuff in the foot and the team sort of, Give that Michael Jackson, I mean Michael Jordan, uh, me were like they they took it personally, um, but yeah, like Sean's, <laughs> but it's like yeah, it's Bulls, like Bulls, they have do do tend to pull out these un, these weird performances out of out of out of nowhere where it's just like like this, this like like Saturday's performance was quite the hardest again. I was like, where where did this come from? Like they're playing such they played such good rugby before, and but I know one thing with the Bulls, they will bounce back. I think they do tend to have. I don't know, it's like sometimes like it's like something like like when the Crusaders would just like wake up one morning and just like lose the Western force. You think to yourself like like what are we doing here? Like even the, like earlier this year they lost the Waratahs. You know, like what, like what are we doing here? And then they'll go on this run again. So I'm not too worried about the Blue Bulls, but I think Jake should just now just over over hype his opposition. Jack Jack White kind of strikes me as the coach that uh uh, today he'll just basically send a WhatsApp to all the players saying, Don't even bother bringing your gum guards. Just bringing your running shoes to training, like that's that's kind of what's going to happen on, on Monday. They're going to all run a marathon, and uh, and during that time, no one's allowed to talk. You just need to think about what you've done wrong, and uh, we'll we'll reevaluate and sort everything out. Start a, start a new page on Tuesday. <laughs> but even that should also like for me, it looks like those like it reminds me of one of a game I coached when I was still coaching Ruggers, and we were so poor, but like. Like we did everything wrong. Like and it was like, it was like one of the performances. You like, like you see, woke up and you want to play rugby. I remember on Monday the, the team was like, so what's what's the video? We're doing for the video session. I'm like, well, like I was like, we're so shit. Like let's just scrap it and go into the next game. Like there's no point in us <laughs> like diving deep into this. Like like what you're doing, like break down what happened. Like you just didn't play rugby this weekend. Like you just came here like this, did nine like a hundred mistakes. So like it's just all you can do is like. Forget that happened, and then we just—I remember, we like, I even we just never watched the video of that game. We sort of moved into the next week. I think Brilliant. Jake would do the same. It's like, yeah, I, everyone needs one mulligan a season, and and you know, I'm, I'm sure the coaches have it too. You, it's just one of those things. You're like, can you explain it? No. How are we going to fix it? Um, there's no way of fixing it because I can't explain it, so I don't even bother. Like, we'll just forget it ever happened. We'll just treat it like it never happened, and we'll move on, and that'll be that. 
there'll be one oak in that team though like one super analytical guy or something. And for the rest of the season, that shit's going to be sitting in the back of his head going, <laughs> can someone talk to me about how we messed that up? Like, I really need to know how to fix that. <laughs> Maybe the analytics guy is like just having an aneurysm because he's like, shit, man, I really need to get this off my chest. <laughs> I need us to actually put our rugby brains together. We need to work out what the best backline is for the balls. I mean, Zach Berg and Chris Smith, um, they had their chance this weekend and didn't probably do themselves any favors. Now, and there seems to be players that are maybe not in their best positions, a little bit out of position. It just didn't seem like, I mean, it's not the only thing that was wrong on Saturday, but it doesn't seem like we're getting the best out of the Bulls' back, backline players at the moment. Sean Cooks, oh, do we have some form of consensus on the Bulls' backline? Is... Do we have Zach Berg and Jan Horsen as 9 and 10? And then what do we do in the midfield? Let's start with Sean. So, yeah, that's interesting. Eh? I'm just having a quick look through this, uh, this squad over here. So I'll, I'll, I'll probably still keep Lionel Mapu at 13. Um, I quite like him there. I won't lie. The other option is um, is you uh, is have um, Hendrix in at thirteen, and then I don't know what you do, but I think maybe is you just level like settle things down a little bit, have a bit of experience. Um, maybe you move my put. I'm just sorry. I'm kind of well, uh, the question was what is the best backline? I would go with um, Hendrix at twelve and Mapu at thirteen, probably. I would probably still go Chris Smith at 10. Um, Ambrose Papier at 9. I thought I think Ambrose is having a really, really good season. He was, I think he made one mistake on, on Friday, uh, on the weekend. But I think Ambrose Papier is having a pretty decent game. So I think maybe he edges Zach Berger for me. Sabun Corsi on the one wing. Um, I'd have Moody, if he's fit, um, playing definitely. Um, I, I'm not, I'm still not sold on Creel at 12, to be honest. Um, but I think maybe that's a horses for courses thing, you know? Um, yeah. And Stedman Hans, I, I think he's better than what he did on Saturday. I think, well, like, like we just said, I think that game is probably something that we just erase from our memory and move forward. But yeah, I'll go Papier, Smith, and then between Smith and Horsen, um, Hendrix, Mapu, um, and Corsi left, Moody right, uh, Kirtley Arons at 15. Yeah, I think I agree with Sean. Kind of, that's sort of mine as well. I think Hans is a big one for me. I mean, it's either him or Mapu. I like the option of Hendrix back at 12, but I know. Is when is Forster back? Is he injured? Uh, I think so. I haven't yeah. heard so much I'm, about him. Um, it doesn't he had sound a like it's a good long... season last season, eh? Yeah, I mean, I think for him not to have, to have been back is quite interesting. I think Forster, for me, if he's fit and available, he's going to be at 12, either Mapu or Henry's at 30. But I do have the option of Henry's at 12, especially if, especially if, um, especially, especially Forster's out. And then obviously, Zach Berger, 9 for me, of course, and 10. But the Bulls back on it, like I said, I think Jack White sort of, it looks like it's been built for horses for courses where guys come in and out, and especially with so many games coming up now, they can do that. But I mean, I think 
I do like this the small Kanan Moody and Kurt Lawrence of uh, back three. I think that is dangerous. And I think, to be honest with you, I think it's the, the centers are interchangeable. I think it just depends on who and who, who and what sort of style they play. But I would just love to see Yuan Fuerson just get to April before we talk about him in box circles. And I think that's the most important thing. I thought Jake was kind of a little bit smart, you know, playing him in an artificial pitch. I think that's sort of management he needs. But yeah, I think with the Bulls, like <laughs> that backline, you can try to have a Bulls backline, but, but this weekend you, you, you might find out that um, Eric Lowe is playing 13. <laughs> Don't you bloody do that to me. That's like a 7 a.m. kickoff in Australia. I'll shit the bed. <laughs> No, Jake White does like a little, a, a few little experiments. So we'll see, and maybe those those things pay pay off at the end of the season. Let's move on to um or just a quick overview of the other results in the URC. Um, you, gents, you're welcome to stop me if if there's a game you want to go onto in more detail. So we had Connacht beating Munster twenty points to eleven. Munster's season from hell just continuing, and Connacht getting their first win. They had a really tough start. Um in the competition and now at least can get a win on the board. Um, you have Scarlets that lost to Cardiff, 16 points to 10 in the Welsh Derby. Ulster, my um, picks for the for the URC, beating Ospreys, 47 points to 17. Welcome back to Dwayne Formula at, at, at Ulster. They've signed um, Rory Sutherland from, um, the, from, from Worcester Warriors and they have Stephen Kitzhoff's um, signature for next season after the World Cup. And then Benetton, um, Rugby, a Benetton beating um, the Dragons, 34 points to 14. Sean, any games you want to talk about for a few seconds? Yeah, quick one. Um, Munster are in trouble. Um, they need to fix something. Scarlets are, are quite are comfortably next to Munster. They're also in trouble. They're, there's problems there. Um, super happy with, with Ulster. They're actually mounting a nice little charge. They're officially the second team in Ireland now because Munster have fallen away. It was always Leinster, Munster, and and then Munster, Ulster uh, fighting out for second. Um, and then, yeah, very su- not surprising, but surprising, Benetton beating Dragons. Dragons obviously very powerful at home, as as we saw against the Sharks. I think they're, they're mounting, um, making a home a bit of a fortress, but away from home, they're looking vulnerable. Yeah, and quick shout-out to Nick Timoney, who's just playing some great rugby for, for Ulster at the moment. Let's move on to the Premiership, where, as Sean mentioned to us um, before we started recording, all five away teams won their matches this weekend. So that's Exeter beating Bristol Bears away, 50 points to 14. That's Gloucester beating Bath away, 21 points to 17. That's Sale beating Leicester away in the South African derby, 26 points to 16. Saracens winning 34 points to 14 against Newcastle. And Northampton winning... um, their match against Wasps, um, 40 points to 36. Um, and the, the, that Northampton game is quite, yeah, that, that was a very dramatic game because um, Kortnosko Sun getting the, the last-minute try in order to, to get that win over Wasps. Sean? What? I, I just want a, a massive shout-out to all the South Africans and the Sappers abroad. Um, but Northampton needed to score a try um, from a kickoff. And um, Jono Augustus fielded the ball, took it up. They ran a phase. Then the second or third phase, um, Dave Ribbons just absolutely steamrolled Nizam Carr, who had a pretty decent game, I must say, but steamrolled him. Great front football. And then they spread it right. And Kortnoskosan 
scores the winner. So South Africans really cooking in the premiership this this weekend. But that Wasp Saints game was flipping incredible, man. What a what a game. It was just it was just some brilliant tries and yeah, but, but yeah, sheesh. Amazing. And not a bad game for Berger Ordendal as well. Um he he's had he had three defenders beaten at sixty one meters that he made. So a big he's, advert for the game there for South Africans. He's 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 gone like what we expected him to be doing uh, for wasps. He's gone and and probably lifted up twenty or thirty percent. He's really taken that. He made an incredible line break. Um, he's he's a great great player for them at the moment. He's really been performing for them. Uh, I reckon that they all secretly high fiving each other for signing him because he's been he's been great for them. He's been an absolutely great signing for them, and you know they're putting um, he's putting some great performances together this season. Let's move to the Sale Leicester game and Lissale winning that 26 points to 16. Cooks, you weren't at last week's um, podcast, but we had a bit, of, a bit of a discussion about a certain tweet from the Rugby Bits um, um, account about one Rob Duprea Jr. and his performances. And this Saturday, he made the account and Sean <laughs> look really good with the, a really good performance against um against the Leicester Tigers and, and he and he, you know, in terms of his stats, he had four defenders beaten, he made seven tackles, he was just instrumental in, in their win against Leicester. Cooks, where do you fall in this Rob Dupre debate? <laughs> this Rob Dupre debate is um is 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 causing tensions that Ben Smith couldn't even think of causing in, in on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a, I think you were the last you know, man that could have supported me on this, eh? You were the last one. No, sure. there was no one else. Um, I'm a firm believer in you know, like players sort of can players move on, right? You know, there's different circumstances over the Sharks and and under Rob Dupree, where it probably wasn't his best, but like now you sort of see if a guy's playing well, you've got to give, you've got to give him his due. I mean, this this reminds me a lot of a uh, you know when when Damien Delendi was like public enemy number one pre 2019 World Cup. And also just like this, and then sometimes you need a change of environment, new coach comes in, and then Damien then we of would fight anyone who was against Damien Delaney. I think Robert Dupre is playing very good rugby. You you can have you can fight him, you can have agenda against him, but you can't you can't say he's not cooking at the moment and and sale are cooking in. And it's great to see him because I'm not saying he's spending a lot of time at 13 and all of that. So seeing it and seeing him playing well and the confidence he has, he sort of that's the glimpses of of what, we, of what we thought we'd see at the Sharks. Um, but yeah, Sean, I'm, um, <laughs> I, I think I'm probably more on, on, on Team Rob as well because, listen, the guy is putting up performances. He's bringing his knocking on the door. You've got to, you, you've got to, you've, you've got to, you, you've, got, you've got to open it. Um, this is a, 2022 is a big year for guys, uh, for Renaissance. I mean, Double could be the park coach mix. You, you talk about him, Robert Dupree is back. This is, this, this, this is the year of, the, of, of, changing your, of changing your whole career. This is the makeover year. Yeah, I think this this is becoming the the year where you just restore your reputation there. If 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 you're a rugby player, that's a bit down and out. A bit of um, Premiership news is that Dan Bigger has announced that he will leave Saints at the end of the season, and Saints have also announced that they've signed Finn Smith, um, the flyer for 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 Worcester Warriors. I think they were probably in to sign him even before the the, the cost the the the, the, admin, the administration happened to to. Um, to Worcester, but yeah, he's obviously a great young talent, and he'll be the flower for Saints hopefully for years to come. So that's a great talent to sign. 
Um, yeah, Sean, do you have any quick thoughts about the Dan Bigger retirement? Or um, not retirement, sorry, but Dan Bigger um, leaving Saints? Yeah, that. I mean, I'm not sure if you read his announcement, but he basically yeah. said that he's gutted and it was by no means a decision made by him or the club. It was a decision that had to be made because of the salary cap. So, yeah, um, he's done bloody well since being there. He did limp off this weekend, um, which is something that the Saints and the Wales faithful are, are all going to be a little bit stressed about. But to be fair, we've seen him limp off before and then get up in the field of play to make a try-saving tackle. So, you know, that man loves a little comeback. He's like a Terminator. But, yeah, that that's they're going to struggle um, to fill that that role. He's their fly-half and he's their captain, and he's a bloody good fly-half. And he's a kind of fly-half, if you don't rate him, that um, you will only see how good he, how good he really is on, on the global platform because um, he's probably up there in one of the top five fly-halves in the world, or maybe even top three. He's incredible. And you'll only see that when he retires and, and leaves the game. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a massive, massive loss for Saints. There's, there's no two ways about it. Guys, um, quick thing, quickly. Like, like, uh, I was talking about Dan Bigger, and I was thinking about how it's weird. I remember Dan Bigger when he first came through, like late, late two thousands, and sort of not rating him. All was like, oh, this guy was obviously under Stephen Jones, and sort of. I remember like, we saw, uh, the two thousand eleven World Cup leaving there. I thought Pre- Reese Priestland would be the guy that sort of kept, gets the hundred caps, and and Dan Bigger sort of just gotten better each year, and like. So it was like once he hit 30, he's gotten better and better each year. And I was, I was thinking, I was looking at someone like Quade Cooper as well. Like almost the older he got, and when he hit his 30s, he was he he also hit this sort of fame. And we like, we're now we're like, oh, guys, Quade Cooper, you can't. He has sort of has to go to the World Cup. I was thinking as flyers become like Test cricket batsmen, like in cricket where they actually peak years are are in the 30, 31 to 36. Range because Sexton seems to be playing against Sexton 37, he's still cooking. So it could be seeing a situation where sort of test rugby is like test 10s are actually, they, when you get a 32, that's actually when they peak is. Yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation, Cooks. I think just, um, it, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of like what's happening with quarterbacks in the NFL, where now that maybe in some ways, you you know there's advancements in like you know your like conditioning and all that sort of stuff. You can go for longer as a fly half, and you're obviously not getting the physical battering that like the flanks and the locks are taking up front. So you can go for longer, and as you get older, obviously you're more aware of the game and like where spaces and everything. And now, like in your early thirties and maybe mid thirties, you're it's it's a meeting of you still you you still have that ability physically, but you're your ability to think the game is, is 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 a lot higher than it was when you're in your twenties. So now you can see gaps. You can get you can play four, two three phases ahead of the opposition. You can see where the the the, the space is and kicking and and everything that's happening there. So I think it it does make some sense. And I think with bigger, he's certainly improved now that he's gone to his thirties. You've talked about Sexton. I think Owen Farrell's also another example that he's letting his game do the talking and he's letting his game do the work for him instead of, you know, almost trying to 
to do and be everything and, and, and try to be a bit more of a game manager. Like, I think he's really just let, he's, he's really been able to see the opportunities of when to sort of, when to, to put the, the foot on the gas um, and put pressure on the team and versus when to, to relax and, 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 and step back as well. So I think there is some um, validity to that, um, Hooks. Um, which is good news for the Springboks because Henry Pollard is only 28 years old, if I'm not mistaken. So that means we, yeah, he will, if he's still entering his peak, that'll be good news for them. I do feel like, especially someone like Henry Pollard going to Leicester now at, at his age, I think there's still a lot more rugby in him and a lot more, obviously, where I think it's, it's going to be a great move for him and it's going to be interesting to see his development. But yeah, I mean, you look at, yeah, I mean, some of the tense performances, guys, I mean, Dan Carter, he probably arguably put three of his best performances in his career at the end. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think I'll definitely dive deeper into this because it's a thought that popped in my head now where, yeah, it just seems to be like, as of late, like, the, like if you talk, I would have thought Johnny Sexton would probably been done playing for Ireland off to a 19 World Cup, possibly 2015. And now you're looking at a situation where, He's going into the next World Cup as the be- as, as the best ten. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe he pushed himself to just for Leinster. I mean, for Leinster and carries on playing a little bit because we all know he, he, he does skip about six games because he doesn't go to Italy. So that it does extend <laughs> your career. Um, yeah, it's an interesting concept, and I, and I really hope to see what happens like with our tens. I mean, like, look at Elton Young; he's thirty-one now, going to France. So maybe that's also that time we sort of another peak. I think it was like a second peak. You got your twenties and. The second pick in your thirties when you started a little bit mature, and I, I, I'm keen to see where, especially someone like Andre Pollard. Mm. I mean that yeah, you've just um, talked about the news that we have now that Elton Yankees is seems like he signed for Toulon and that he's um, he's moving to Toulon. I think with immediate effect, and that would be great news for for Toulon themselves. I think they've um, they're, they're getting a obviously a very experienced international to their team, and you know they that someone that can play awful backup um, behind West as well instead of I think the the arrangement now was probably someone like Baptista in playing um, 10 and you ideally don't want to do that and yeah Elton you will be able to combine with Chase and Colby as well so that's a really good um, contract um, situation for 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 him um, so we'll have to see maybe there is a bit of a, a comeback um, for for Elton Yankees and I think it will definitely fit into the narrative for chasing the croissant or whatever we're going to call the the the, the, the documentary next. I'm not sure, Cooks, if you know how these names happen for these documentaries. Um, just quick, yeah. Then quick notes on the on the top fourteen. Toulouse is just looking absolutely unbeatable right now, and it, that guy again, Antoine Dupont, is just playing his socks off every week, and they are very much established at the top of the log um, of the top 14. Uh, Toulon, they've, they saw the comeback of Ches and Colby. Cooks, do you like the lack of um, scrum cap for Ches and Colby? Do you, do you think that's a better look for him? I'm, I, I, I'm all for that. That's like, you know, like, like as, as close the guys come back, when the guy, when I get speak for a team, he comes back with a bald head, and you're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> this guy this, this, this is business now. Like when you, you have you seen that, uh, that, that, that Netflix Redeem Team documentary? Yes, I was and about to say. Away, it comes out of nowhere with, with a bald head. That's yes. the equivalent of that. When, like, when Kobe came out there, like, because we were like, like, when he's like, okay, talking about Orange so Moody, kind of saying I've lost it now. Okay, watch this. <laughs> and he came up with those camp. He was like, okay, this is, this is different now. 
I, 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 I'm all for guys doing things that, that makes them look like they've got extra focus. I, I'm all for it, Tyler. <laughs> no, he definitely took it personally. And yeah, he was hearing some of the whispers that people are saying that, oh, maybe, you know, Moody would be a better 14 or currently looks like the new Ches and Colby. And yeah, he's definitely taking it personally. It's just weird not seeing him with the scrum cap. I don't know. I'm not sure if it lo- makes him look more or less elusive yet. So uh, I'm I'm still a little bit on the on 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 the fence for that, but yeah, like just the way that he took the try um, on Saturday, he definitely has not lost. He hasn't lost anything, and there'll be good news for Jacques Nienaber when he's picking his November tour squad. So yeah, he scored his try. Toulon beating Brie forty seven points to nil. Um, there was a video posted by Jared about the oh with um, Danny Preso who's also joined Toulon this season from La Rochelle and the handshake that he has with Ches and Colby. So I don't know if that will make Raymond Rule jealous because he used to have all the handshakes with, with Danny Prizo um, of, um, last season. Then other results, you have Lyon beating Bordeaux. Um, you have Stade France putting 50 on Perpignan. Um, Racing 26 points to 13 against Pau. Um, a big comeback for Gael Fiku, which is great news for... Um, uh, well, rugby fans in general, but for Fabian Galtier, especially for, for November. And then um, good old Finn Russell made his comeback um, or his, his playing. And he was actually, funnily enough, talking about uh, managing of his minutes. So, and, and that he has a better understanding with the coach for, 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 for us saying that he will not necessarily play every weekend. So that's actually good news and probably further proves your point, Cox. But Another interesting debut was Christian Wade coming on for or starting for Racing on Saturday. So there's a lot to be excited about in the Racing team this um, this year, Cox. Um, as their number one fan, what do you think? Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> you know, Racing. I feel like this is, I know that I've seen this movie before, Tyler. I've seen this movie. You're going to be excited for the changes. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. Gonna, Christian Wade's going to do some amazing plays. Finn's going to cook, and then we're going to lose a semi final. We shouldn't lose. In the, in, the, in the European Cup and then we lose the semi-final or final in the top 14 that we shouldn't lose and then we start this process again. <laughs> that's, that's how it feels being a wrestling fan. It's just... And like, oh, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm happy to see Christian Wade back. Um, I'm just saying it wasn't his best, but I really hope it's a dangerous, dangerous backline. And I think, mm. man, if you thought Khalant and Lebokin was a special combination, I think Finn and Khalant might do some, some wild things. I mean, yeah, I maybe I missed this, but when did they sign Francis Saili? Because that's a great replacement, effectively, for Vremi Vakatawa in the midfield. Yeah, 100%. Also, and I saw the line, I was like, oh, when did he, where did he pop up from? And yeah, that was, yeah, I also agree with you, a very astute signing. Um, so tell again, we're doing all the right things, right? Until May. So I, I, I'll come to terms that um, we, we, are the, we are the streets team. We should have <laughs> highlights, but hopefully we can just win just a trophy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, you can't really fight with many with their recruitment. You know, they still they got Trevor Yakane last season as well. They've got they've got everything you need to be a, a great team. But yeah, it'll it'll be a, just a matter of um what they do. Yeah, what they do when when they they they're one of those teams like you have like in the NBA where we don't really care about what they do in the regular season. It's all about what they do in the playoffs and when things get serious. And then um, Cooks, just a quick one about um. We have Warwick Halant. He's he's playing well. He's posting photos every weekend from his games. He's loving the Par- Parisian li- lifestyle. And 
he's getting his tweets on his haters and he's making note, taking note for his haters that, you know, he's going to be playing well as well. So I think we can have a motivated Weichelant playing here because we know when he has, when he's making those tweets about whichever haters he has, that he plays his best rugby then. You, you, you know, you know, when Boogie starts, you know, when Boogie starts talking about his haters, someone's <laughs> big trouble. If I'm in the French top 14, make sure your ankle straps are tight because something, something bad is going to happen. Because the last time who you went on that, the run you went on the storm was after that. It's almost like the opposition was like like the Sharks. And like, like, we don't hate you, Boogie. Like, why are you taking this out on us? Like, <laughs> on your side. But I'm, I'm keen to see, I'm, I'm keen to see what Boogie does up there. I mean, I think it's a great move for him. I think it's, um, in that, in that backline, I think it's going to be exciting. Yeah. Um, other news is um, for Montpellier, they lost 26 points to 13 to Castro and um, uh, Corbus Reinach making his comeback to Montpellier. So that's good news for them. Um, Bayonne beating La Rochelle, bit of a surprise. And um, yeah, we I think the, the, the top 14 is, is quite clear that they there's a leading team and they were to lose. And they still don't, I mean, Romain Tamak is injured, so they, he hasn't played for the last few weeks, but they're still leading. Um, they're still leading that that pack quite easily, and then just finally, um, Cooks, we 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 get to the end of the 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 the, the podcast, and we usually do our weekend shoutouts. Um, do you have any weekend shoutouts, or are you do you want to use the opportunity to rant about your Packers losing in in London this weekend? Oh, jeez, oh, I was having a good day, then you remind me of that. Oh <laughs> man, that was um, that was frustrating. But um, no, I think. My weekend shout out, to, I think for me has to let's go to the Lions. Um, I think yeah, great tour, great story. Um, and yeah, we got we got to shout out Cash uh, Cash Van Royen. I mean, um, Cash Van Royen has <laughs> caught many strays on the Twitter on the Twitter streets. Um, but um, yeah, and also took my ranting. I was going to rant something like any followers around you, but just keep better at the Spencer thing, like. The thing that triggered us about the whole thing about the New Zealand under 90 be like, guys, that's the easiest bait that's been thrown out there. And somehow people still are hooked on, got so upset. I'm like, guys, this, like, we couldn't let it be this easy for him to, to get us so triggered. I'm like, guys, is, like, let's at least make it tough for him. Like, can we just, we know he's a troll. We know, we, we, when we know that he loves trolling us. But listen, if the boss get cooked, the guys, like, that's what happens. It's, it's almost like, like, tell her, you understand, like, footy Twitter. If Arsenal loses, mm-hmm. you're going to catch the smoke. 100%. And <laughs> in, in, in a way where you may be slightly better or Arsenal's out of Chelsea, I'm still going to give you that smoke for that week. You know what I mean? Like, who cares uh, about facts? But give you the smoke. And I think as like, Twitter, is, I think that's the next evolution we have because I do think that there's a lot of good that comes, there's a lot of bad, dark place, it's freaking be. There's a lot of good, good accounts. There's a lot of fun, like, things like Hooper's Hoop and this. There's a lot of great things, but like, Someone like Ben Smith, you got to know a troll where it comes from. So you know where it come. But also, we're going to be better. And when the All Blacks lose, we've got to got dish it out as well, in a respectful way as well. That's my, that's my rant for the day. And, <laughs> and stop when the Wallabies play again on Thursday next year. I'm, I'm going to mind your ass. <laughs> no, I'm actually literally on Ben Smith's account now. And you just see the, the interactions he gets um, when he tweets something related to criticize South Africa versus anything else. And yeah, it's night and day. And of course, it just, I think, is more of an addiction on an indictment on our, on our fans that we always like just fall for the bait every time. Because I mean, yeah, 
like like I said on Twitter, he's not even trying now to like his, his troll is not even like clever at this stage talking about the New Zealand under nineteen team beating like a few invitational sides that that we had to a, um that they played on this tour that they did a few weeks ago. So like what is even the point of responding to this? Is there's literally no reason for this. Um but yeah, I mean quick I think we still remember the days when Ben Smith was probably one of the best analysts on, on rugby Twitter. And yeah, it's unfortunate that he's fallen into the troll games now. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, he still writes some fantastic columns, mm. fantastic articles, especially you talk about attack and things like that and where the All Blacks go to next. So yeah, but now he's sort of falling into trollsville. But I mean, like, I still believe that two things can be true. I still believe you can be a troll mm. and still able to deliver a good article because facts are facts. But now I think he's going to be even more of a troll. I think, I, I think, he's, he, I think he's also embraced his fact as a troll because he knows how easy it is to trigger South Africans. Yeah. I think my quick rant, or not really rant, but I think you mentioned earlier, um, I tweeted something about, um, you know, that South Africans winning, you know, at the time it was 10 out of 10 of their games against opposition teams. It's now 10 out of 12. And just talking about maybe the stand of the URC compared to Super Rugby, that there's absolutely no chance that we African teams would be able to do that, um, win ten games out of anything um, in, against the overseas opponents of Super Rugby. And I think my rant is more along the lines of African fans that want it both ways, that want to be able to criticize New Zealand Australian rugby that they're weaker without us, that they their standards are falling and all that sort of stuff, but also. With the South African teams doing well in the URC, not maybe admitting that oh, maybe this is not this the, the as tough a competition as the as Super Rugby was, and I mean, yeah, you can talk about travel being a factor in that, but still, like I think that the point stands that there's probably less quality teams in the URC at the moment than there are in Super Rugby, and up, up until you know the to an extent the Scottish sides, but mostly the Welsh and the Italian sides, and you know, stand up and at least be able, are able to defend their, their their home grounds, then we're going to have a situation where the South African teams, Leinster and Ulster, can win pretty much all their other games and then they're going to be the top six and sort and, and they can sort out amongst themselves who wins the URC this year. So, yeah, we can't really say and have it both ways. Like, we can't be laughing or, like, treating New Zealand and Australia for their Super Rugby product and, you know, that the Crusaders are just walking over and the Australian teams aren't bringing much opposition where if, 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 if the form book continues the way it is, we might have four South African teams in the quarterfinals, which is a, a, also a little bit of a joke. So, yeah, I, I don't know where you, where you fall in this debate, but I think the, the, the form in the last, and it's not just been this season, but even the second half of last season, it's the South African teams have just... You know, once they got used to things, they've been winning. Like they've been winning most of the games in the URC, and it just seems like the the overseas opponents are intimidated in some respects about like the size of South African teams. Because a lot of their interviews will just talk about you know the size and the physicality of the South African teams, and I'm like, look, you have Lions or British Irish Lions in your teams or or internationals. I mean, if you're talking about Evan Etzebets and his physicality, fine, fair enough, but. Albert North Nachel for um, the Lions. I mean, sure, he's physical as well, but like Edinburgh or whoever, you should be able to stand up to that. Yeah, I, tell you, I think I'm on I mean, your side slightly on the argument. You said, like, like you said, um, your tweet said, um, for us to win 10 out of 12 games against obviously opposition and, 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 and a bark that we've been away, that would be unheard of when you go to Super Rugby. Yes, maybe travel 
has been a big factor. Like, but also you, you look at over the years, even like I was thinking of Super Rugby, like you look at the New Zealand teams and Australian team. We struggle against them here in South Africa as well. We just tend to always struggle against those sides. And, and it's maybe it's, it's quite a position where I do think now for us to come to a competition brand new and sort of dominate it is we had two finalists last year. We had the Bulls going to RDS and winning. We had the Stormers turning around mid-season and sort of we still have won 14 games straight now in the URC, which is fantastic. Mm. And also, and like, yeah, you can have that. And I think obviously winning is a great thing. I think our sides are rhythm are improving, but I just don't like, like it's, it's tough. You, you make the comparison and my, my, my wonder, I do, th- I do think though, quality of position, I think it will, I think we will sort of improve with, with the more times of those sides sort of play against the South African teams. I think they'll get better. But yeah, I, I just didn't think we'd see a situation our second season in Spur, in sorry in URC where we could have mm-hmm. probably you could have three sides in the, in the playoffs next year, and um, the fourth alliance you could with momentum and at the, where it sort of feels it's, it's almost like us versus Ireland with the Edinburghs and then them, them chipping in. You know what I mean? So, and that's something I didn't foresee. I do think if, I do think Irish rugby is going to get better. They're going to strengthen because they're they seem the ones that are matching us. And like, and I just think for rugby, like the twenty or something years that happened, it was rare for us to get. We get maybe two sides in the playoffs when we have a good year. We've only had two SSRs in the final. That was twenty oh seven and twenty ten. Otherwise, you've never had it. So, yeah, I think if you look in that way, I know a lot of people like obviously happy. I mean, I'm I'm happy to see our sides dominating. That's what I want to see. And I think the quality of rugby has is, is, is definitely improved this season. A lot more eyes on it. A lot of teams are getting better. And it is not just dominating, but like I said, I just don't think you'll have seen Alliance go win three games on tour. Whether it's against the Tars or the the, the Highlanders. Or like, and like, you know, back in those days, it's, if you came back with two wins on tour, it's a fantastic tour out of four. So I'm interested to see how the rest of the season goes. Um, I see the most of the sides now getting the internationals back, but they leave soon. So like we must be a situation where <laughs> two semifinals are could be in South Africa. Yeah, I mean, that's probably not the best. I mean, it's good for South Africa, but it's not necessarily good for the competition. Like, same as what it would be in the in, in Super Rugby if, like, the New Zealand teams were constantly in the finals. Like, I think for everything that we say about, like, Super Rugby, there was a bit of variety. I mean, yes, <laughs> Crusades were usually one of the teams that would win every year or so, but, you know, we had... You know, the, you had the Bulls dynasty, you had the Brumbies dynasty, you had the Blues dynasty, you had the Australian teams, the rest of the Waratahs getting wins as well. So there was a bit more variety in that. So it hopefully won't mustn't fall into the trap that it's just, you know, either the South African teams or maybe a bit of Leinster as well. I mean, you look at the log now, it's, it's, it's you know, you have all four South African teams in the top eight, which is, you know, a, a bit insane and like crazy from like a... a from that standpoint, but at least Benetton is there in the top four. You have Glasgow that is there at seventh at the moment, but it's the bottom of the log. There'll be a concern and it'll be about, okay, how can we get Zebra to be, you know, able to get some wins and they're improving at least this season. And you know, that points difference isn't too bad. So they hopefully are a few, you know, they're, they're, they're a game or so away from that win. But I think the, the the worrying thing is the four Welsh teams at the bottom half of the table. Osprey's at ninth and Scarlet's at 15th. So I think that's probably the key to raising the standard of the URC because 
there will be at least two, probably three good Irish teams, I think, in future once Munster either sorts themselves out or Connacht will, will just continue improving. Um, Scottish sides will be decent because they only have two professional sides, so they are concentrating all their talent there. So if they're able to get like some of the Scottish p- uh, players that are coming out of England because of the salary caps, that's all better for them as well. It's now just the Welsh sides. They need to find a way to 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 compete because Benetton is doing their job and they're, you know, becoming competitive and they're beating the, the bad teams and playing well against the good teams. So now the question is, how, how do the Welsh sides improve? So, yeah, hopefully, you know, the likes of Wayne Pivak, you know, Robbie and Will Owen at Squid Rugby Channel and whoever else is Welsh can 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 get that sorted because as as good as it is having maybe four South African teams in in the, in the knockouts and, and that being a real prospect now at this stage obviously still early in the competition it it shouldn't be that it shouldn't even be, it shouldn't be four Irish teams shouldn't be any like no one country should have all of that power <laughs> to to paraphrase like we need to have a, a, a fair share of like teams winning and stuff because that's how you grow interest in the competition where every weekend you turn it on and you're like oh who's going to win this weekend and that's maybe not been the case in the last few weeks with um, the South African teams running away with it so it's good in that sense that Glasgow and, and Leinster were able to get some wins and yeah I think the Quicks I think a, a tour now for Ulster and Glasgow two really good teams to the Sharks and the Lions yeah we might be able to expect maybe a win or two for those sides yeah, hundred percent. I think um, I really uh, the Ulster side is is slowly and surely becoming my favorite Irish side. I mean, like, you know how you feel about like McCloskey and and um, <laughs> and, and Mike Lowry and uh, Kira. Like, it's just it's just a really good side. To, I mean, it's a great pickup for them against Stephen Kitsov as well. I think it's a really good good side of watching class because also a tidy side in Edinburgh. I think. So I'm really excited for when they come here. I think for them, for those sides, it's crucial they come and win games here. Because now we've shown them we can win games overseas, especially on our box. It's crucial for them to come and win games. To win games and I think that's going to be exciting. And I can't wait to see how Ulster goes. I mean, like I said, I just really, really like that side. It's just a, it's just a great side to be a neutral and just watch. Yeah, that's good. And then, Cooks, I think let's wrap it up here. Um, I think we I have now discuss most rugby over the weekend. I think just a quick mention to the NPC going to the semifinals, Auckland, Wellington, Bay of Plenty, and of course, Canterbury making it to the semifinals. I think Wellington will probably be the favorites with all the former All Blacks that they have in their team. And yeah, I think that's probably all the rugby um, around the world. And yeah, thank you so much for listening to the Rugby Bits podcast brought, by, brought to you by bet.co.za. Please go onto their site for all of the all of the like the markets and the deals and the bets that you can make for for the week's rugby as well and we will see you next next time on the rugby bits podcast